Hello and welcome to More Than A Number, the podcast brought to you by ICAEW, looking behind the numbers to discover how they're really impacting our lives. I'm financial journalist Louise Cooper, and today in this episode, we're asking the question why 34% is so critical when we demand, is our tax system fit for purpose? 34%, the amount of tax the UK government raises as a percentage of GDP. But is it too high or too low? Should politicians tax us more or less? And who should bear the burden of taxation? Businesses, individuals and via what sorts of tax? The question we ask, how and what should we tax? And does the UK have a taxation system suitable for our modern economy? Well, joining me on the line is our numbers guru, Paul Johnson, from the Institute for Fiscal Studies. Hello, Paul. Hello. Now, I had a look at the um, figures from the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD, and it stated that Ireland raises 23% of its GDP in tax, France 46%, and the UK, about average of developed countries, at 34%. Do you agree with those figures or not? Well, the UK is about average for developed countries. It's actually relatively low by Western European standards, a bit higher than some of the Asian and Southern Hemisphere OECD countries. That uh, figure for Ireland that you mentioned is somewhat misleading because of the way the Irish economy is configured. So much of their income comes from foreign companies headquartered in Dublin that their GDP number is inflated. So uh, they don't have as small a state as that number would suggest. But yes, broadly, the UK's fairly average by OECD standards, but relatively low by Western European standards in terms of its tax take. So how has it come about that we raise here in the UK 34% of our GDP in tax? Well, it's a long history. I mean, actually, the fraction of national income we take in tax has been remarkably steady for a long period of time. It's currently a bit higher than it's been uh, for quite a long time, a bit higher than it's been on a sustained basis, really, for the last 50 years, but really only a, a relatively small amount higher. And it's down to all of the choices that we make over time. And one of the remarkable facts there is is that it's been so stable, given uh, when you think about how much more we now spend on things particularly like the health service, but also pensions and other welfare benefits. And the reason that we've managed to keep the tax burden relatively stable for such a long time while spending so much more is that we've cut other things. In particular, we've dramatically cut the amount we spend uh, on defence. We spend a lot less on supporting industry. We spend a lot less on building houses in the public sector than we used to do. So stable, relatively stable over a long period, but a bit higher than it has been for some time in the UK. And this is sort of like a function of society, a function of the choices as an electorate that we have made over many, many decades. Yes, it is. I mean, it's in the end, it's the thing that kind of pops out of the enormous political sausage machine, which makes all of the choices about taxes and spending. So we've chosen to have a welfare state, which is uh, a reasonably large by uh, by Western uh, by Western standards. We've got we spend somewhat less on some uh, on some other things. We certainly spend a lot less on pensions than a lot of other countries. We spend somewhat less, maybe a little bit less on the health service than uh, than some other countries. Actually, a little bit more on defence, despite the uh, large cuts that we've had. Um, and I think politicians have tended to think uh, that there is a bit of a ceiling on the amount that you. 
can reasonably uh, raise from tax. They look at the history and they look at a uh, history which says, well, actually, we've never really on a sustained basis raised more uh, in tax than we do at the moment. Well, also joining me is Philip Booth from the uh, free market think tank, the Institute of Economic Affairs. Welcome, Philip. Hello there. And the IEA promotes the intellectual case for a free economy and low taxes. So go on, give us the economic case for lowering overall taxes. Okay. I mean, I would argue that taxes are actually somewhat higher as a proportion of GDP than those bare numbers suggest for a number of technical reasons. But also we should include, of course, taxation borrowing, which is used to finance current government spending and is is essentially deferred taxation, which is pushed out into the future. Why should government spend less rather than more? Well, I think it comes down really to who you believe is the best judge of a family's own welfare. Is it the family themselves? Should they have more money in their own pockets to take their own uh, decisions? Or should these decisions be taken by remote people in Westminster who take what is somewhere between 30, realistically 35 and 40% of our incomes from us and spend it on our behalf. And I believe that individuals and families are the best judge of their own welfare. Uh, Where we do have government spending and government service provision, I would much prefer that to be at a lower level. We also have a remarkably centralised tax system and spending system in the UK where Westminster does nearly all the taxing and spending, uh, especially the taxing, and local government does almost none, which is uh, quite different from nearly every other developed country in the world. And again, it's a question of whether or not you think things should be done at a level which is close to the people or a level which is more distant from the people and decisions should be taken by large bureaucracies controlled by the Westminster government. Paul, is there a link between economic growth and taxation? Not a very obvious one. I mean, you have very um, successful economies, the Scandinavian ones, uh, Germany and France, uh, which have significantly higher levels of tax than we do and which are economically very successful. And you have other economies. The US has lower levels of tax, obviously very successful, but um, people often mention places like Singapore and others which have significantly lower levels of tax and are very successful. So you can clearly have a successful economy with a high level of tax or a low level of tax. What probably matters rather more than the overall level is actually how that tax is is raised. You can find incredibly inefficient and damaging ways of raising tax. If you whack up taxes on, on companies, if you have a, a system of taxes which give people very big incentives to change in their behaviour in particular ways, uh, then that can be quite damaging. Well, Paul, don't course. get ahead of us. We're going to discuss the efficiency of taxes in a moment. <laughs> uh, well, in a sense, it's a direct answer to your question. Can you run an economy with a high or low level of tax? Well, uh, you can run an efficient economy with either. It also, of course, depends on how you spend that tax money. If you're spending it on productive infrastructure and the sorts of things which make the country run better, a good education system, a good transport system, and so on, that's likely to be rather good for growth. If you spend it all on uh, welfare or defence or what have you, that might be less good for growth. Philip, how much do you think the government should raise in tax as a percentage of GDP? 34% now, according to the OECD, what should it be? Okay, it's certainly true that there are some countries which raise very high amounts in taxation and still have high growth rates. But the evidence across time and across countries, known as panel data. In other words, you take a time series and you also look at individual countries. So get quite a rich data set. Suggests that every 10 percentage points increase in the tax take or in government spending um, reduces growth by 1%. I would certainly be comfortable with a, a government which took about 10 percentage points fewer in terms of 
taxation and obviously an equivalent uh, reduction in government spending, but not actually not necessarily an equivalent reduction in government spending because the higher economic growth would to some extent lead to increased tax revenues and reduce the extent to which you needed to reduce government spending. So, Philip, you're going for a 24% tax as a percentage of GDP? I'll stick my finger in the air there, yes. OK, well, as you said that, our next guest's eyebrows shot in the air. This is James Medway, former advisor to Labour's shadow chancellor, John McDonnell, and former chief economist at the left-wing think tank, the New Economics Foundation. And you're currently writing a book on the economy for the many as well, James. Yes, that's right. Now, your eyebrows shot up when Philip said we should aim for 24% of GDP to raise in tax. Why? Well, that's a huge amount of money that that you're talking about uh, taking out of the tax system at that point. And that has implications. I mean, this is the the trouble with sort of saying, here's 34%, what do we think, higher or lower? This is, as Paul says, it emerges from the the sausage machine of decisions taken on what we want to do with those taxes as much as how we raise it. So if we say we want, over a long period of time, decent public services, we'd like the NHS to be well-funded, we want our schools not to face cuts, we want universities, we want roads, we want the various things that the public sector in fact provides, uh, and fairly clearly people do want those things, the implication is over a long period of time you will need to raise taxes to pay for them. Now we've ended up with 34%. There is a case for saying you know, maybe that could go a bit higher. I would prefer to put it as, well, what would we like society look like, and then how do we get a tax system that gets us there, and gets us there in a way that's fair, uh, and seen to be fair, and I think that's a, quite an important point at this point. France is 46% of GDP, what would you say? Well, that, that's, you know, that's France's choice over time. As I said, I think the better way to look at it is to think about what you want to spend the money on. Now, the implication you're not going to give me a m- number. I don't, I don't James, think, I want a number. No, you're not going to get a number because I don't think that's the right way to, to look at this thing. You say what you want to do with the tax is not what level of tax you want to get to. And then you work backwards and work out how much tax you're going to have to raise to get there. So that's you, the more sensible thing to do. Well, finally joining me, Catherine Kearns, Chair of the Office for Tax Simplification. Now, you, we've been listening to the debate we're having. How important is it to have this public debate that we're having about how much the government takes from us all? I think it's extraordinarily important to have an informed debate, not just in times for elections or anything like that, but for people to get a better awareness of how the tax system is working and working with them and for them and how their money is spent. I mean, I think there have been um, some big efforts to make better communications with taxpayers about what happens to the money that they give into the system and how it's spent on their behalf. But I think the education that's needed starts in these big debates about, you know, how do we raise taxes, how much, um, but also gets um, should get down into the nitty-gritty about how people are actually affected in their day-to-day lives by how they pay tax. And most people don't realise? A lot of them don't, partly because we have, in some ways, a very efficient system in areas where people don't necessarily see the tax on a day-to-day basis that, that's going out because they're part of the PAYE system. But there are occasions, of course, when they interact with the tax system. And if they don't have a, a greater awareness and understanding of it, it can be very confusing for them and difficult for them to work out what they need to do to put themselves in the best position. Well, before we get on to the debate about types of taxes and who should bear the burden, I just wanted to get an explanation from all of you as to what you think is an efficient, good tax. Paul, you first. Well, an efficient good tax is, first of all, one that doesn't dramatically change people's behaviour. So, I mean, a bad tax is one that leads you to invest less if you're a company, for example. So you can certainly impose corporation taxes, which are very inefficient and reducing uh, investment. A bad tax is one that stops you, for example, selling your house. So stamp duty on houses is a very bad tax. A good tax is one which is broadly conceived of as being fair. So broadly speaking, you'd expect higher income people to pay more than uh, 
lower income people across uh, if you look at all taxes and one that doesn't have too much effect on their behaviour. So economically, we often think of as a tax on land value as being a very good tax because there is a fixed amount of land. So in the end, that falls on the landowner and shouldn't change their behaviour very much. Now, that's a very difficult thing to do in practice. So one that doesn't change people's behaviour very much, one that's uh, broadly seen as fair and something that is as transparent as possible and as simple as possible. The behavioural change is fascinating because politicians sometimes think that tax won't change behaviour, but it does. And I'm thinking of the Australian example. I think you're referring to uh, the most remarkable example of tax changing behaviour, which is actually it can um, change when you die. Um, so, uh, which is quite unusual. Most people, quite most unusual. people don't think of the tax system on their last few days on earth. Well, so there was a, in one, one of the Australian states back in the 1970s, there was a, the, the, the inheritance tax was being abolished as of a particular day. And if you look at the data uh, in the days before uh, that abolition, there was a um, reduction in the number of people dying as they managed to hold off um, for a few days in order to die after the abolition of inheritance tax. So even that most unlikely of things, the moment of death, can be affected by, uh, by taxes. Well, mother, when, when there was a child tax allowance, mother, used to drink olive oil in order to bring on labour. <laughs> Paul, Paul um, sorry, Philip, do you agree that with Paul about efficient taxes? I do, by and large. I think all economists believe that an efficient tax is one that doesn't change behaviour. I believe broadly that taxes, certainly on income, should be proportional rather than progressive. By proportional, I mean they take roughly the same proportion of everybody's income. Now, of course, you do exempt a certain amount of income from tax in nearly all tax systems so that we don't start paying tax until we've earned a certain amount of income. So that means that uh, really in any system, even if you have the same rate of tax over and above that tax allowance, um, richer people will pay more as a proportion of their income in tax than uh, less well-off people. And I think the third thing, which I put a very big emphasis on, in fact, is, is transparency. So the government often thinks that an efficient tax is one that people don't notice paying. Well, if we don't notice that we're paying taxes, we don't actually realise how much our public services are costing us. And survey evidence of how much taxes people pay as, and in, as individuals and also how much the government spends in aggregate grossly underestimates the government tax take uh, from individuals and also grossly underestimates the total amount of, of government spending. So perhaps we believe that our government services are costing us less than they really are. And of course, that will affect voting behaviour. So transparency is key. For you, yeah. James, is it the importance of the tax system for redistributing wealth? Well, I, I can't actually uh, agree with both uh, Paul and Philip there very very substantially on, on, the, on the definition of what an efficient tax is. I'd only say on, on transparency, this can, of course, cut both ways. If you look at you know, some of the Scandinavian countries where all income is declared and made public and you can search what people earn and how much they're paying in tax, this has quite a significant impact on, obviously, the ability to avoid. But also, I think it reinforces the idea that, in fact, tax is something that you should be paying and it's making a contribution. This is a, a valuable thing that you're doing for society and you can be proud of, of paying taxes. And I think that's quite an important sort of cultural shift that you could be looking at there. That's not necessarily what people think, though. Or do you think that's wrong? Yeah, I think we could get to a point where people should be thinking like that. And that's where I think actually you can make transparency work. When you've seen over the last few years concern, and I think a complete correct public concern with tax avoidance and tax shading into tax evasion, the ability of large companies, very wealthy people to use very complex structures to get around of paying the, the taxes that the rest of us might be due. And you end up with all sorts of weird anomalies at this point. I think that's a 
concerned with transparency. So I'll kind of share it from that point of view. But it also shades into the, the bigger picture, which is you, you can't necessarily isolate the question of efficiency from what you expect the system to be producing. Depending on what your preferences are about what kind of society we want to live in, you'll have a, a different view on whether, as Philip put it, a, a tax should be proportional or progressive. In other words, should it be just a percentage of how much you're earning or should they in fact increase as you earn more over time? So you end up contributing more as you, as you earn more. And I think broadly people would, would like to see, in fact, absolutely certain, it's very clear from you know opinion polls and this sort of thing, they want to see richer people pay more in tax and they think the tax system should be fair and seem to be fair. So it's hard to separate that question from the issue of efficiency because it also feeds into the issue of collection and how, uh, how well your tax system uh, actually collects the taxes that you try and enforce and how much of that burden falls on different people. Which brings us nicely onto Catherine. Do we also need to prioritise and think about those actually paying the taxes? Well, I would argue that we should, and actually for a lot of the reasons that have already been mentioned, about people's engagement with the system overall and how they perceive their part in it. I also think that there is a general point about um, it's very difficult for people to feel whether anything's fair or whether anything is something to be proud of in terms of what they're paying if they don't actually understand what their contribution is. And so the more complex things are, the more difficult I think it gets for people to understand where they are in the system and whether they're doing the right thing, whether they're making the right choices. And and it also, in fact, makes them fear the system as well, which I don't think is a good thing. If you want proper engagement with uh, both the tax authorities and with civil society in terms of, of tax paying, I think that understandability point, which, as I, and I would say this, wouldn't I, but I do think it's, it's the case, making things as straightforward and as simple as possible for people so that they do the right things at the right time and feel confident that they're doing them, I think is a big part of that overall picture. Well, let's move on to the taxes that we as individuals pay. And this is where it can get very political because, of course, we are all voters, but we are all taxpayers. Although I say we are all taxpayers, but in fact, we've seen the income threshold increased for income tax from about £6,500 to about £12,500 currently. So it's almost doubled in just eight years. And this has created a tax system where only half of all UK adults pay income tax. And this is your data, Paul. Yeah, it's a bit more than half, but it's not much more than half. So we have this remarkable, uh, it it does seem quite surprising when you look at it at first time, nearly half of adults don't pay any income tax. Now, why is that? Well, as you say, it's partly because of that increase in the threshold. It's partly because we levy taxes on individuals, not on families. So if you you could be in a well-off household and uh, one partner's working and the other isn't, well, then half of that household isn't paying any income tax. You could be a, a student, you could be a pensioner on the state pension, you could be working part-time but in a better-off household, oh, you could be on benefits. So oh, there's, a, although, there's a whole range of people there who aren't paying income tax. Although, Paul, I have to interject that we now have the largest percentage of women working ever in the UK, something like 75%. So that idea of you know, husband bring home the money, wife sits at home, that's gone. You know, three quarters of women now work. Indeed, but a quarter don't. And of those who do, a significant fraction are earning below the income tax threshold. So but that, that's just an explanation of why that number is so surprising. And But of course, people pay other taxes. I mean, a, a lot of people who are in work who aren't paying income tax are nevertheless paying national insurance contributions because that comes in at a lower level. And of course, everyone who buys goods is paying VAT or, or, or excise duties. People are paying council tax. So it's important to look at income tax because that's a, whatever it is, is about a, a quarter of all tax revenue. But it's not the only tax. So even the fact that a lot of people aren't paying income tax doesn't mean they aren't paying tax. 
Do you think this is a problem, Philip, that half of adults aren't playing income tax? Yes, I do. And I'm not a great supporter of this rising of the tax threshold. I think actually the IFS used the phrase that the tax base was getting dangerously narrow. Now, of course, those adults who don't pay income tax do pay value-added tax, and they do. many of them probably pay national insurance contributions, and their employer pays national insurance contributions as well, and, and a range of other indirect taxes. But as I mentioned earlier, most of those taxes are hidden, so people don't realise they're paying them. And I don't think that's a very good thing from the point of view of the operation of democracy. Well, we must now draw this debate to a close. So I'm going to ask you all for your concluding comments. And we need to sort of go back to that original question. 34% a tax system for the 21st century. Paul, just your quick concluding comment. Well, I think we're going to struggle to keep it at 34%. I mean, we know that the pressures on the health service, on pensions, on social care and so on are probably going to result in public spending rising over time. And we don't have a defence budget or anything else to abolish anymore. So my guess is that as we look forward to the next 20 or 30 years, we're going to have to take this debate about tax even more seriously than we have in the past. Because I think we're going to find it a struggle to avoid raising taxes in some way. And therefore, we need to be very careful about doing it in the most appropriate way that people will buy into. Now, we've made that somewhat more difficult for ourselves in recent years because we've increased the personal allowance for income tax so much. We know it's potentially quite difficult because of the globalisation in terms of getting hold of corporate taxes. We haven't talked about taxes on petrol, but we know we're going to lose those because we're going to move to electric cars. So we really are moving into a world where we're going to have to be very serious about um, how we raise taxes. And we're going to have to do that in a way which doesn't pretend that we can either you know, cut taxes significantly and have the sorts of public services we're used to, or you know, raise taxes just on companies and the rich and pay for whatever we want, which is you know, in a way to, to be slightly unfair, but not very unfair, where uh, the two political parties seem to be ending up at the moment. We need a much more serious discussion than we're getting. Philip, 24% doesn't sound likely from what Paul said. No, I think there are many areas of government spending which could be comfortably cut, from which I should add the relatively well-off would tend to benefit. But Paul is right about these demographic pressures going forwards, and they result from decisions that were taken 50 or 60 years ago to set up systems of health and pension funding which are essentially unsustainable when you get demographic change. The thing I'd like to add into the mix, Paul has mentioned a, a bunch of things which uh, are, are going to make life very difficult going forward. This is also going to make that the situation of pressure on taxes and government spending, it's going to make it more difficult for Chancellors of the Exchequer to simplify the tax system because the tax system has become very complicated as Chancellors of the Exchequer try to find new wheezes to find extra tens and hundreds of millions out of groups of people without them realising it. James? Well, I think we'd all agree on on some of the, the likely pressures looking ahead, uh, you know, the, the disappearance of fuel duty as electric cars come in, the uh, demographic changes that, that we're looking at, the possible risks and costs of, of climate change uh, bearing down as in, in the near future. So you can see the kind of pressures on the, on the current tax system. But I think also it's going to be a case of taking it away from just talking about tax as the, the only possible instrument, the only way to talk about how the economy functions and having a far broader conversation about what kind of economy we want to live in. So I think it's not just how we're going to pay 
for these public services on the basis of uh, how we're taxing things. I think it's also how do we structure an economy so it is fairer, so people do have more control over it, so people do feel they have a stake in the thing. And that is a, a much, much broader question than just tax. And Catherine, as a member of the ICAEW, the concluding remarks go to you. Well, I think it's been a hugely interesting debate. And I've actually been really impressed by the level of agreement, actually, in, in certain specific areas. From my perspective, from an OTS perspective, I mean... It, Office for Tax Implications. Yes, sorry, the Office for Tax Implications perspective. You know, it is true that simplifying what's a very complex system that's been built up over, well, in the end, centuries, it does feel like a, a huge uphill struggle. And some of the fundamentals underlying it, I think people have raised about, do you seriously engage with people so they actually understand what they're looking at and their place in the system? And it's hard to see how a system can be judged to be fair if people don't understand that. The amount of work that's needed to be done on that, and it's, it's going to be a joint effort. You know, any particular part of government or civil society is, is going to struggle to do it on its own. It is going to have to be a more serious and broader debate, I think, as Paul has said. But these sorts of debates and the kinds of debates we've had today have been enormously helpful around that because they do start to make people seriously think about what the choices are in front of them in the wider landscape that's going to be ahead of them in future. That's going to be really important as the British economy develops in a global context. We've talked about the 21st century and how things might be changing in that. We've talked about the demographic pressures and so on. But the way people work, the way people accrue wealth, the way people lose wealth, the way people actually uh, carry out their activities will change. And I think one of the issues is going to be how flexible is the tax system to start reflecting that so that people can interact with it properly. I think that's it. Thank you very, very much to the panel. Paul Johnson, Philip Booth, James Medway and Catherine Kearns. You've been listening to More Than a Number with me, Louise Cooper, a podcast brought to you by ICAEW, the Institute of Chartered Accountants in England and Wales. For those of you that don't know, chartered accountants are highly trained, critical thinkers who apply their knowledge to get behind the numbers and work towards building a world of strong economies. So make sure you subscribe to More Than a Number so you never miss an episode. If you want to get in touch, then please email us, mtan, short for more than a number, at icaew.com, mtan at icaew.com.